God, I pray that is our, not just our song, but that is our prayer and that is our commitment to you today. Do we really need you, God? Do we live our lives as if we need you, that we depend upon you, that we trust you? God, again, for this service and for the services to come, there are people that are are making it known that they needed Jesus. That their search and their hope and their longing and whom they were seeking did not bring about joy or hope or peace. And they encountered a real, personal, living Jesus. And they cried out, I need you. And he met them exactly where they were. God, I thank you for last night. I thank you that a a seven-year-old and a 71-year-old proclaimed, I need Jesus. And so, God, that just opens up for us today the realization that there's nobody in this room that's too young, that's too old, God, for us to meet with them and for you to meet and call them by name, for them to declare, I need you. So, God, we thank you for those realizations last night, and we thank you ahead of time for those in this room today and the services to come. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Happy Easter. Glad you guys have taken part of your Easter weekend to be here with us. Um, We are so excited that you're with us. Um, I I want to talk about the name of Jesus here in a few moments, but I want to talk a little bit about a different name for a few moments because there's one word that if someone needs to get your attention, there's one word if you're across the room in a crowded room and somebody needs to grab you, they don't just yell with a group this size and your spouse is over here and one's over here and you yell across the room to each other. You don't just yell, hey, you. You, you call them by name. You, you scream out their name, and they answer. Now, my name is Michael Dennison Bowers, all right? That's the full name for full disclosure, all right? You can pick at it. You can make fun of it. I don't care, all right? I'm not that partial to it, all right? My name is Michael. It's not a family name. I, I used to ask my mom. I said, so who, who's, whose name in the family is Michael? She says, I don't know. I just liked it. I said, what about Dennison? Have you ever heard that name before in all your life? Dennison, and, and, and my dad's name not Dennis, so I'm not the son of Dennis, all right? I'm just Dennison. She said, I, I heard it, and I liked it, all right? The only time I've ever heard the word Dennison is a label company, Avery Dennison. So I was named after a label. I don't know. And, and, and so I, I, have, I get called by different names. I get called Pastor Michael around here. I get called, uh, if you were one of my students in student ministry, you probably still call me Michael B. It's just something that stuck many years ago. And, and out and about, I, I'll just be honest with you, I like just plain Michael, all right? That's just who I am. But as a pastor, you have other names. If, if, if I am on rare occurrences, if I'm in the office and a salesperson calls to ask for me, they say, Reverend Bowers. Cue the hang-up, all right? <laughs> Reverend Bowers, just, it, it's not a hotline to me, all right? Uh, I can give you some other Reverend Bowers, but I, I'm not one, all right? And so I don't, I don't really find myself attuned to that one. And then if you're hanging around a bunch of preachers, okay? Preachers are, I guess they're nervous that they you like to be called pastor or reverend or brother. And so what they do, if you're around a bunch of pastors, they'll say, Reverend Pastor Brother Bowers. Just to make sure they get all the bases covered. All right, and they just put all these titles out there. And I just want to go, just, just, just Michael will work. 
So you've got a name. You love it. Some of you go by your middle name because you don't like your first name, and you, you change that. There, there's, a, there's a gentleman that's here that goes to church here. His name is William, but he goes by Bob. <laughs> William, Will, Willie, Bill, Billy, Bob. <laughs> that doesn't come from William, but, but, you know, we go with it. I found that out when I went to look for him at the hospital. I went looking for Robert, right? And they're like, we don't have a Robert. I'm like, how about a William? No, I didn't say that, all right? You, you start looking. But sociologists, sociologists suggest that the most powerful name that you hear, the most powerful word in the English language to you is your name. Educators will teach entire seminars on your name. It may be three letters, it may be eight letters, but it's, it's a powerful little word. It may be two. Some of you have uh, hyphenated first names, and you go by both of them. It has the power. So here's what I want you to do real quick. I want you to look to your neighbor, and I want you to tell them your whole name, all right, if you're, if you're willing to do that. Ready? One, two, three, go. There's a lot of talking for one name. Now, on your way out, on your way out, as you're leaving, as you're walking off, and you see some at distance, you can look across the parking lot and say, Hey, John, have a great Easter. Right? There's a test on your way out for all these names that are in here. But there is another name that we come to celebrate this weekend, and it is the name of Jesus Christ. All over the world... Right now, in different contexts, in different cultures, a couple of our missionaries that serve in, in Southeast Asia um, texted us on yesterday morning to let us know, or yesterday afternoon to let us know they were celebrating Easter, right? They're 13 hours ahead celebrating Easter, but all over the world, people are celebrating the name of Jesus, and they're celebrating because at the end of this week that we deem as Holy Week, Jesus Christ has come into a holy city he found himself there, led, him, led the disciples to the Lord's Supper, was betrayed and crucified and buried. And today we come to celebrate not a dead Jesus, but an alive Jesus. And so today we were, we're going to walk through the story of the resurrection, a story that many of us in this room are familiar with. Many of you could walk out of here and probably recite large pieces of this this morning. My hope and my prayer is that this morning, not only will you be listeners to the word, but you will be active with the word. James says that you would be doers of the word. So if you know this information, I'm hoping that it's just ammunition for the rest of your Easter Sunday to share that Jesus Christ calls people by name. In John chapter 19, I want to read a few verses that really bring us up to speed with where we come to celebrate this morning. In verse 38, it says this, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. 
So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now each of the gospel accounts gives us a slightly different set of important pieces of this account of the resurrection of Jesus. Today we're going to examine John chapter 20. Before we begin reading John chapter 20, I want to introduce you to one of the characters that we're going to spend a little bit bit of time on. Her name is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, Scripture is going to tell us she arrives at the tomb early before daybreak. And for us, that would look like before 4 to 6 a.m., somewhere in that time frame, she is heading to the tomb. But a little bit of background on Mary. In In the Gospels of Mark and Luke, we're told that Mary had already encountered Jesus. And Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. So there was already this miraculous conversation, this miraculous moment in the life of Mary. There was this personal encounter that Jesus and Mary already had had. Mary also was there with the mother of Jesus, Mary, at the crucifixion of Jesus. Mary has been at the miraculous moment, and she's been at the depths of despair moment. Up until this point, she's not a footnote, but she's a part of different narratives, and now we see this focal point come upon her in the middle of the story of the resurrection of Jesus. She's going to the tomb, and reality, let's just be honest this morning, okay? She is going expecting to find a dead Jesus. That's what she's going for. That's what she's expecting to find. She's not anticipating, and we can see that from the narrative that takes place. She begins looking and searching, and here's what Scripture tells us regarding Mary in chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. Saul of the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. See, she's still expecting that he's not alive. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, both of them running together, and the other disciple outran Peter. If you're still searching for a name for your kid, if you name him Peter, he might be slower than the other disciple, all right? I don't know why he was slower. He was just slower. He reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. He, and then Simon Peter came, following him. He went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Really? Went, went back home. John and Peter, they, they, they saw John, it says that he believed, but yet there was still this underlying, we're not completely sure what to, we should have been expecting today. We're not real sure what all is about to transpire today. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Don't miss this moment. Why was she weeping? She's weeping because 
the one who had cast out demonic forces from her, had been crucified. The one that she had followed, the one that she saw crucified, the one that there were threats that the body would be moved, that who knows what would happen. She is weeping outside the tomb. And so would we have been. And she stood, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. We're unsure why or how. Was it the morning? Was it the time? Was it a transfiguration of Jesus? You know, there's a lot of thoughts there, but she, Scripture says she didn't recognize him. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, this is a title in that time period by calling somebody woman. This is not a derogatory term. It's not rude. He's just saying, Woman, what are you looking for? Why are you weeping? Supposing him to be the gardener. Biggest oversight in human history. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will go take him. D.A. Carson stated of this moment, Mary is running around frantically, and she's looking for the wrong Jesus. She's looking for a dead Jesus. She's looking for an infinitely less powerful Jesus. She would have never found Jesus unless he sought her out. And this happens in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus said to her, Mary. With the inflection, with the tone, with the voice that she had heard before, maybe he had said Mary at the moment where he cast out the demons. He's heard Jesus call her name. Woman, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? Doesn't get her attention. But when it comes down, we see a personal Jesus speaking into the very heart of Mary, in her weeping, in her despair, in her sorrow. He says one word, and the whole story shifts. She says, he says, Mary. I do not find it coincidental at all that the first person Jesus spoke to was someone that he had performed a miracle upon. I don't find it coincidental that that Jesus had cast out demons out of her and now she was one of the few faithful followers and she's there weeping. Can you imagine with me the heaviness of this moment? You're frantic, you're looking, your eyes are teared, filled. You, You can't make out. Somebody's talking to me. I don't know who it is. Did you take the body? You're searching frantically and he just says, Mary. And she replies, Rabbani which means teacher. When Jesus calls you by name, he calls you out of despair and into hope. When Jesus calls you out of despair, uh, out calls your name, he calls you out of despair and into hope. 
This is the power when someone calls us by name. This was not a random prophet calling her name. This was not another teacher from the town, from the community, from the synagogue. This was Jesus who was calling her name. This is the resurrected, the personal, redeeming Jesus. And out of all the things he could have spoken, he just said, Mary. She came expecting to find a body in a tomb. And she found hope in a resurrected Savior. Let me ask you this morning, when you, when you, when you came in this morning for worship, what Jesus did you expect to meet when you walked in this room? Did you expect to meet and encounter and worship a living Jesus Christ? Or did you come as we often do, especially in our American culture, to worship a weekend Jesus. That's comfortable on Sundays, but not on Mondays. This is a personal Jesus that is speaking into the lives of Mary, and he is still speaking and encountering us, even in this room this morning. What Jesus do you expect to encounter when you open the pages of God's Word? Living, breathing Words of God, do you expect to find when you flip through the pages and you're studying his word to find the results of a dead Jesus? No, this is a living Jesus. And what takes place in the New Testament and the Gospels points to the power of a resurrected Savior, not a dead Jesus in a tomb, but a resurrected Savior that changes the course of history. Do you come with anticipation, with hope, with promise? This is a personal Jesus. And guess what? Guess what he knew about Mary? He knew her past. He knew her sins. He knew her shame. He knew her shortcomings. Yet he called her by name. When Jesus calls our name, he calls us out of despair and into hope. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. It's important here. Those of you English folks in the room, you need to pay attention here. Pronouns here, kind of important. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and what? And your Father, to my God and to your God. Again, here's the personal nature of who Jesus is in his resurrection. Mary Magdalene went out and announced to the disciples, here's what she said, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Jesus is communicating now from Mary to the disciples and he's saying, listen, go back and tell them that I am going to be ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. This is not some distant God. This is not a distant relationship. This is personal So on the evening of that day, the story continues. The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Paul's there. They're they're waiting. They're they're unsure what's going to happen to them next. Their their teacher, their Messiah has been crucified. So what's going to happen to them? Could the same result be coming for them? And so they're locked away in fear of the Jews. They're hanging out waiting for a secret knock, all right? No knock comes, but Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, say these words with me, peace be with you. 
Say that with me one more time. Peace be with you. Awesome. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side from the crucifixion, the wounds. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, what does he say again? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven then. If you withhold forgiveness from any, then it is withheld. When Jesus calls our name, he calls us out of despair and into hope. When he calls our name, he calls us out of confusion and into peace. Let me tell you, these guys were confused. And they had good reason to. They had watched days before their Savior, their teacher, their Messiah be crucified, placed into a tomb. A couple of them had come back, one of them being Mary. She comes back, she says, guys, I've seen the Lord. They locked the door behind her anyway, going, I'm not sure about Mary. I'm not sure what she saw. And his first words were not, when Jesus appeared, were like, hey guys, how are you? I'm here. He speaks a familiar phrase from the culture. He says, shalom elakim. And this phrase doesn't just mean, hey, peace, have a good day. No. This is a peace be with you that implies in the Hebrew language and in the understanding of this culture, fear has been removed and blessing has come upon you. When Jesus shows up to this fearful group of disciples standing around the house, lock themselves up. Mary's talking. Peter and John are confused. And he says, Shalom Elakim. Fear has been removed and you have been favored. Shows them his hands. Shows them his side. And they needed another dose of peace. Because let's just admit, that would raise our eyebrow just a little bit of what is really taking place here this really is jesus and he says to them again peace be with you if the first dose of peace be with you wasn't enough let me give you another dose peace be with you fear has been taken away and blessing and favor have fallen upon you when jesus calls your name yes he calls you out of despair and sorrow and into hope but he also causes for some of you you are in a moment of confusion he desires to call you into peace fears being removed favor coming upon you through the sacrifice of jesus christ this statement is so incredibly beautiful because the last words he spoke to a large group were on the cross it is finished The next phrase, peace be with you. You cannot have the peace be with you without the it is finished. You cannot have the fear has been removed, favor has fallen upon you, unless you have the sacrifice of a holy Savior. And now you have a resurrected king standing before you saying, peace and favor. When Jesus calls your name, He calls you out of despair and into hope. He calls you out of confusion and into peace. But thank God for for this next part of this narrative. Because the next guy that we're just going to see for just a moment is a guy by the name of Thomas. If you've grown up in church at all, you know that we've given him the name Doubting Thomas. When in reality, we pick on him a little bit. When in reality, that's us. 
I love the character of Thomas included in the gospel account because there is a little bit of Thomas in every single one of us, some of us a larger portion of. Now Thomas, verse 24, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Talk about missing out. Wrong moment to run to cook out for something to eat, all right? Wrong moment to leave the party. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Sure you have. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. There's a little bit of Thomas in every single one of us. And for some of you in this room this morning, there's a lot of Thomas. You are declaring with your faith and your trust in Jesus or your trust in Christ that you will not trust in him and give him your life unless you see and believe. We'll see Thomas's case and then we'll see Jesus's statement to that thought process. Eight days later, eight days later. I mean, everybody else is talking about Jesus. And Thomas is standing over in the corner going, nope. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Thomas, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, pronouns again are important, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. When Jesus calls our name, he calls us out of doubt and into faith. He calls us out of doubt and into faith. Not your coming up with a summary of figuring it all out and coming up with every answer. He calls you out of doubt and into faith. I meet people all the time who say, I'll pursue Jesus when I can touch him, see him, sit with him, ask him when I can hang out with him. And the sad reality is many people put that litmus test on faith that they don't put on anything else in their lives. You believe a myriad of events that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago in our American history, and you believe it because it's written in a book. You weren't there. Your grandparents weren't there. Nobody in this room was there 100 years ago. I didn't check IDs, but I'm pretty sure there's nobody pushing 100 in the room this morning. And there's things that you believe about wars that happened 100 years ago. You weren't there. There's museums and there's recordings, but you didn't see it. Well, pastor, I'll believe in Jesus when I can see him, when I can hear from him. But I'll believe everything else that I'm supposed to live my life by. The rules that I follow, the people and the presidents and the people from history of all over the world, I'll believe those all the time. I'll believe things people put on YouTube. For real? And I'll believe them. But Jesus is a little bit different. When Jesus calls our name, he calls you out of doubt and into faith. It simply comes down to faith. 
It simply comes down to who do you trust? It comes down to you trust more in yourself than you do in a resurrected king. The truth is that each of us must submit our lives to the calling of the message of Jesus Christ to him through the death, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we must do so by believing by faith. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which were not written in this book, but they are, they are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here's what he's saying. There are so many things that we have recorded in this book for you to help you with your disbelief, but there are so many things that aren't written in this book. We couldn't fit it all in. But what we've recorded for you, what the early church has recorded you, what Luke's recorded for you, what Mark has recorded for you, is so that you can see the eyewitness accounts of those who've encountered Jesus, those who have experienced despair and experienced hope, those who've experienced confusion and have stepped into peace, and those who have experienced a moment without faith and full of doubt step into faith. These interactions have stood the test of time and 2,000 years later, we're proclaiming this truth. And I would make the case that seeing is not believing. And Jesus says, blessed are those who believe who have not seen. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus 37 years ago. I remember very clearly understanding my sinfulness and my need for a Savior and Jesus being presented to me. And while there was not a voice that I heard, there was a clear brokenness in my spirit and I knew Jesus was calling my name. He was calling me out of despair and into hope. He was calling me out of confusion and into peace and he was calling me out of doubt and into faith. I put my faith, my trust in the things that I cannot see because the word of God has recorded these things for me about a savior who died and rose again and interacted with people just like me and called them to called him to called them to himself. So I want to ask you a few questions. When Jesus calls your name, how have you responded? Many of you in this room would say, man, I know the moment where I, the heaviness, the conviction of Christ calling my name, and I've responded to him, I've trusted in him, I've confessed my sins and begun a relationship with him. But for some of you in this room, undoubtedly, you're sitting here on Easter Sunday morning and you have felt this tug in your heart, this pull in your spirit, and you've yet to respond to him. So I want to ask you a question from earlier in the dialogue with Jesus and Mary. His second question to Mary is, whom are you seeking then? Whom or what are you still looking for? What person? What set of ideals? What moral convictions? What financial plan are you driving for? Whom are you seeking? So this week I, I made this question highly personal for me and to ask of myself in preparing for this morning. Michael, whom are you seeking? 
I didn't put your name in there. I didn't put Reverend Pastor Brother Bowers in there. Because I would have not paid attention to the question because that's not my name. I, Michael, who, whom are you seeking? So this morning, let's make it personal for you. You don't have to say it out loud, but we take out my name and we just leave that blank and you put in your name this morning. Who are you seeking today? A resurrected Jesus? That brings hope, that brings peace, that brings eternal life? Whom are you seeking Despair to hope, confusion to peace, doubt to belief. A dead Jesus or a resurrected Savior who has conquered sin and death for you? Because if you say, well, I'm not, I'm not seeking Jesus, then whom are you seeking? What are you seeking? I pray you're seeking a Savior, a living Savior, a resurrected King, a gift from God from heaven to earth, I hope that you're seeking a man who walked on this earth, who was tempted but was perfect, who was sentenced to crucifixion and death, to carry the weight of the sin to the cross, to be placed in a tomb for the world and the leaders, the religious leaders to believe they had conquered and for him to be raised from the dead and appear to a woman, to appear to disciples, to appear to a larger group later on and say, guys, it's me. I pray that you're seeking a personal Jesus. A Jesus who knows you by name. And I believe this morning he's calling some of you in your spirit and your heart this morning. He's calling you by name. And it's your moment this morning to respond to him. I gotta tell you, last night I had an awesome interaction with somebody during the invitation. <laughs> And I said, have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? She said, yes. We prayed. She went back to her seat. Somebody in her family came to me after the service, and they said, we talked to her, and we asked her, when, you know, had she trusted in Jesus? And she said, yes. And they said, when? They said, right before I went to talk to the pastor. <laughs> I just didn't ask when. I just missed that question. But she realized that she needed to give her life her despair, her confusion, and her doubt to a resurrected king. Whom are you seeking? Let's pray.